the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. So glad you've joined us. Uh, so is Pete Paquette. He's our engineer, gets us on the air. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And I'm so pleased to welcome Mike Novotny. Uh, he's in Appleton, Wisconsin, lead speaker for Time of Grace. His book is out, What's Big Start Small. Mike, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well. Hey, hey, thanks, Pat. Great to be here. Explain that title. Oh, yeah. So uh, I had a chance to dig into a really famous story that Jesus told. Um, actually shows up in three separate spots in the Bible, and it's what he himself called the parable of the sower. And it's kind of Jesus's crash course on how, how faith works, you know, how, how it grows, what gets in the way. And I think what, what grabbed my heart the most about it was the potential that Jesus said of our connection to the Bible. You know, it might seem like a small thing to go to church on Sunday or to have a devotion when you wake up in the morning or to listen to Christian radio. It might seem like one program, one message, one passage, but just like a little seed can explode into way bigger than you would ever imagine. The same thing can happen with the Scripture, and so that's where the title comes from. Like, we, we want big faith. We want, you know, big confidence in God's forgiveness. We want a big love for people even people who are hard to love. And it's really inspiring to think something that big could start really, really small, like the next time you open the Bible and hear God's Word. Well, your book breaks down into three parts. Part one is called Your Potential and Jesus' Parable. And you discuss exponential, exponentially potential and then seeds, soils, and souls. Uh, unravel that one for us. Yeah, so in this story, the parable of the sower, you know, Jesus said if it lands in the right soil, the seed of God's Word can bring back 30 or 60 or even 100 times what was sown. And so I kind of start the book that way, like if, um, man, if if you're not excited about the Bible, I know it doesn't like, "Ah," (laughs) you know, when you open it, but it should because, wow, the, the things that this book can do for your life, for your relationships, for your eternity, for your family tree. Um, you don't have to memorize the whole Bible to get a massive, like, exponential impact out of it. Um, for example, when I was in high school, um, I, I actually battled an addiction. And I was, a, I was a church kid. I was a Christian guy. I, you know, I hated what I was doing, but I kept relapsing. I kept going back to it. And, you know, I would kind of battle, like, am, am I forgiven? Have I 
sinned too many times for Jesus to love me? Did I lose my spot in heaven? But there was this one little passage that had just a big impact on my life. Um, I actually wrote it out with a Sharpie and put it on a little cardboard piece of paper at the, on the bookshelf at the end of my bed. And it was a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 1 that said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And then, Pat, as I would, as I'd read that, like I, I feel like the worst Christian on the planet. But he, here's this promise from God that Jesus didn't come to save the good people or the above-average Christians. He came to save the worst sinners. So, to me, that's what that's about: exponential potential. You, you don't you don't need to read the Bible cover to cover. Sometimes just one little verse like that can give you hope. It can give you grace. It can save you. It can inspire you. It can empower you. So, yeah, in the introduction to the book, I just want to fire people up. Like, if you, if you don't have a regular connection to the Word, whoo, like, <laughs> your God wants to sow a seed in your direction, and you want it to grow into something big. So that's my way of hopefully getting people excited about opening their Bibles, getting connected to a church, and uh, being connected to the Christian message. Mike, tell me that uh, that uh, Bible location again. First Timothy chapter... It's First Timothy chapter 1, and I think that's verse 15, if... Uh, if memory serves. Great. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Good. Um, we, we, we'll, we have passed that on. Uh, Mike Novotny is our guest. Mike, let's move to part two. And you call these the six threats. Uh, this is really the meat of your book, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Threat number one is called pride. Uh, what, what can you tell us here? Yeah, so the, the big idea of that is even though a seed has tons of potential, um, even if you're not a huge gardener, you realize you don't just throw a seed out the back door and expect something really great to grow. <laughs> right? we, we know the sun in Orlando can be hot. We know the birds of Florida can be hungry. We know the soil can be stuck. We know that weeds can pop up and choke it out. So we kind of know that even though seeds have exponential potential, we also have to protect them so they can grow into that. And so here in Jesus' story, the parable of the sower, he actually lists a bunch of things that can happen to the seed so that even if you go to church, and even if you're a person who opens your Bible every morning or every night, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up with this great faith. What it does mean is that you have to protect it from these spiritual threats so that it can grow. Yeah, so you listed the first one. There's six of them that I count in the book, pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. And my simple explanation of pride is, you know, if you... If you hear the Bible, but you don't really want to understand it or apply it, um, I'm not sure how you were as a teenager, Pat, but you know, sometimes my parents had to talk to me about something tough, and so I kind of sat there and endured their lecture, <laughs> <laughs> you know, crossed my arms, and I was, he- I was hearing it. I was in the presence of maybe a message that could have helped me mature, but, you know, to quote Jesus' phrase, if you don't have ears to hear it, um, if you're hardening your heart, it's like throwing the seed of God's Word on, a, on your driveway. You know, that's not going to grow on concrete. And in the same way, pride mm. can just totally get in the way of the exponential potential of God's Word. Let's go to threat number two. Uh, it's simply called pain, uh, Mike. Mm. Uh, explain that. Yeah, Jesus in the parable says, this is when, at first, you love the Bible. Oh, how great that God saves me, loves me, he's is a plan for me. He's running the show. But Jesus says sometimes the Bible also causes trouble with the people in your life who don't love it. 
You know, so if you're if you're trying to turn your life around, let's say you you, you drink too much and then you meet Jesus, and now you don't want to party and you, you don't want to lose control. You want to stay sober all the time, and your buddy's like, oh, look at you think you're better than us. You know, you what you you're too cool to hang out with us anymore. You're always judging us, and that that's painful. You know, we want people to like us. We want them to applaud us and affirm us. And sometimes the Bible messes with that. And in Jesus' story, sometimes a little sprout of the seed shoots up right away, but then the sun gets so hot that what started with such potential starts to wither because it doesn't have strong enough roots. Threat number three is called worries, uh, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, these next three actually go together in Jesus' story. Worry, he says that worries and the deceitfulness of wealth and the want or the desire of other things can choke the seed. Um, this is the most practical part of the story for my own life. Uh, in a garden, you can have really good soil. It can be rich soil. There can be just the right amount of sun and rain. But if you have too much stuff packed into your garden, whether it's too many plants or just you've let the weeds kind of get the best of you, what, what happens to the plants? Well, you know, it doesn't die. It doesn't wither up. But it it can't mature and it can't produce a lot of fruit because there's just not space in the garden to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have actually a little pack of tomato seeds right here in my hand right now. On the front of the package are these big, ripe, uh, on-the-vine tomatoes that make my mouth water a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the, on, on the back of the package are the directions from, like, the expert gardeners. And I never knew this before, but about half the directions they give you are essentially about space. Like, don't plant too many of these seeds in your garden, and don't plant the rows of tomato plants too close together. They need, like, three feet between rows. And when they start to grow, make sure you pull out the weeds and, you know, thin them out. Because if you want this big red tomato on the front of the package, you have to give it the space that's listed on the back of the package. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so Jesus says, the worries of this life. Like, you, to really be a fruitful, mature Christian, you're going to need some time and some space. If if you're squeezing in church between, you know, the tournament that you have on the weekend for your kids, <laughs> that's going to hurt for some parents for listening today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're so busy with work, like yeah, you you read the Bible, but your your brain is another place. You can't really think about it or meditate on it. You could read that passage that I mentioned before about Jesus' forgiveness, but if you can't give it some time and space in your heart to ponder, it's not going to grow into much. And so Jesus is just warning us, like, be careful, be careful, be careful. Maybe you're so worried about doing everything and getting your family involved in everything and volunteering for everything and being everywhere and pleasing everyone that you just end up so busy, busy, busy that your, your faith won't die. It's not like you'll lose out on heaven, but you will miss a, a kind of maturity that God wants for you right here on earth. So that's the threat of the worries of this life. Mike Novotny is our guest. We're talking about his book. What's big starts small. Uh, there's one other threat here, not waiting. What, what, mm. is, what does that mean? Yeah, so I've never been a farmer. I'm kind of a city kid. But I've heard, I've heard that the farmer doesn't get to harvest the day after he sows the seed. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's actually a really long process. Um, it doesn't take just a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. I mean, it takes months and months and months. You think about the most beautiful trees in in the park that you love to see, and they take years and years and sometimes decades. And so this is Jesus' reminder that God's Word is like that. I mean, 
I hear a lot of people sometimes say, well, I was going to church for a few weeks, but I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not like a sugary drink. Maybe it's not something that you just feel and experience in the very moment. It, it can happen. Oh, you don't see anything happening, but God's Word is still at work. And so this is just Jesus' reminder to be patient. You know, if you're doing the right things, if you have a great, solid connection to God's Word, like, he, He's working, even if you can't see it just yet, so, so don't bail on the, the growth plan of the seed before it comes to full fruition. So, put them all together, pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, not waiting— According to Jesus, those are the six threats to great faith. Mike, uh, we got to take a break here um, in just a little bit. Uh, but tell me what uh, time of grace is uh, and what's your involvement there? What's that about? Yeah, so it's a media ministry that connects people to God's Word a few million times every month. So, and every month we connect with people in about 172 countries through mm. the Version Bible app. Uh, we have a TV program that's nationwide and in a couple dozen markets, including uh, down there in Florida, uh, a lot of stuff on YouTube, Instagram. So it's about a ministry that's 20 years old. I'm the lead speaker for that. So uh, the messages from my church end up on TV and in various other platforms that try to make more people to the exponential potential of God's Word. You know, it's fascinating, and it is the fact that... Uh, media and television in every which way, uh, boy, God's Word gets out there, doesn't it? Uh, shouldn't we all be encouraged by that? Oh, it really is amazing. I mean, <laughs> Jesus' big mission, you know, go make disciples of all nations. And I think of how through a Bible app or a, a TV program or YouTube, um, you know, there's obviously some dangers and threats with technology in the modern world, but wow, what what a tool that missionaries like Peter and Paul would have been so jealous of if, if they would have known. So, yeah, radio programs like this, uh, God's just given us a really great open door to share His Word. Mike, what's your background? Uh, tell me about <clears throat> growing up and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I would say the two big factors for me were my mom <clears throat> and a single verse from the Gospel of Mark. Mm. So what what was really... it? What was it? Yeah, so my faithful mom kind of raised me in the church, and I had a pastor who encouraged me to try to read the Bible. And so, as a teenager, I did. And I'd always planned to be a businessman like my dad, like my older brother. And I read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter eight, where Jesus said, "What good is it if a person gains the whole world and yet gives up their soul?" And I think what hit me is. You know, how many people do that? Like, they're chasing money, they're chasing success, they're chasing fill-in-the-blank, and they just, they totally forget about their spiritual life and their connection to Jesus. And so that was like a, a light switch for me that I thought, I, I should become a pastor and tell people that you can have everything in this world, but just being with God is so, so much better. And so that took me on like a 180 turn, led me to seminary, Bible college, and to the life that I have today. Uh, before the break, what, uh, Mark chapter 8, you remember the verse? Oh, is it 34 or 35? Okay, good enough, good enough. You're testing my—you probably don't know this, uh, Pat, but as, I've, as, as you get older, you forget things. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Novotny is our guest. 
the book, What's Big, Starts Small. We have another segment with Mike. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Mike Novotny uh, is in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's our guest. His book, What's Big, Starts Small. Well, Mike, we've arrived at part three. It's called Your Potential Revisited. Hmm. And, And you talk about good soil... And conclusion. Oh, I guess the conclusion is tucked in there. Okay, uh, so uh, fill us in on part three. What do, what do you What are you telling us? Yeah, so we've kind of unpacked in the the main part of the book these six threats: pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, <clears throat> and not waiting. And then Jesus talks about this really great soil: uh, people who hear the word of God, but they don't just hear it; they retain it, they persevere with it. You know, they fight through all threats, and they end up producing this really great harvest that Jesus mentions. And so there's some really practical tips in the book of, you know, how do you do that? How do you identify the threats that are most threatening to your own heart and life? But I, I think what really jumped out at me, I, didn't, I never knew this, despite being a pastor for a bunch of years, it, it never struck me the unique title that Jesus gives to this story. I mean, after thinking of all the kinds of soils and the power of the seed— I would expect it to be called the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed, but it's actually Jesus himself who calls this the parable of the sower. Mm. And that hit me. I thought, like, well, well, I know the sower, like, you know, he threw the seed out there in the beginning, but then he's not, not exactly a main character in the story. And I thought, well, why would Jesus give it that title? It seems like, you know, that's a minor point, and you're making it the, the major theme. And then I thought, and this is, you know, classic God's timing, I thought, oh my goodness, that is such good news. Just when I feel overwhelmed, like, oh man, i got to battle my pride, and some of my friends are going to make this painful to follow Jesus, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm worried about not doing this, or I want to do all these other things, and I'm not patient, and I'm, you know, I get overwhelmed with all these things that I need to do, that we need to do. And then Jesus steps in and says, whoa, 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 before, before you freak out, before you think there's no way you're going to do this, and you're always going to be you know, the immature, stuck Christian, uh, let me tell you that this is the parable of the sower. This story is about God, who is a great gardener. Um, this is a story that I'm telling you about a father who sent his son so that you'd be forgiven for all the stuff you messed up with God's Word. This is a God and his son who sends the Spirit, who is able to do all things, who is able to open your eyes and help you persevere in your faith. And so I really wanted to end the book with with that message that, yeah, there, there's a good challenge here to not just you know squeeze in church and think it's going to do great things, but there's also a great God who's able to help us kind of achieve these goals. It isn't just willpower and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, there's a supernatural power that's at work as we connect ourselves to God's Word. And that leads to uh, this question, Mike. <clears throat> is that supernatural power <clears throat> called the Holy Spirit? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> can you ex- yes, yes, can yes. you ex- can you tell us more? <clears throat> yeah. Um, what the Apostle Paul in Second Timothy chapter three says: All Scripture is God breathed, and it's useful. So. 
you know, the Scripture that's in our hands, um, that is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. He led the apostles and the prophets to write this Word. And so it's not just like any other book. You know, I write books. You've written a whole bunch of books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and these, are, these are our words and our wisdom from what we've learned. But when you open the Bible, there's, there's something much, much more there. There's a supernatural power, the power of the Holy Spirit infused into that. And so that just gives me so much hope and, and courage. This isn't just me, you know, reading God's to-do list and trying to put it into practice. You know, this is the Holy Spirit empowering, guiding, convicting, encouraging us. And that just uh, reminds me that all things are possible, even having a great faith. Mike, it seems to me uh, that the Holy Spirit kind of gets shortchanged here. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. God the Father and God the Son and uh, Jesus and his life and his ministry, and uh, he's the only way to heaven. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, and rarely, rarely do you hear sermons uh, or, or, or series being taught about the Holy Spirit, but uh, it's awfully important. And, um, yeah. So uh, I, I just want you to keep uh, t- teaching us here a little bit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is a real person. Uh, yeah. it, it's not, uh, it's not s- some spooky, you know, Halloween <laughs> spirit out there. So uh, I, I just need you to talk to me. Yeah. You know, I actually had a sermon series on the Holy Spirit a few years ago. Did you? Um, I know there's one one Christian author who calls him the forgotten God. Mm. Like, oh yeah, God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to forget about that. So you're, I think you're spot on. But in a way, I'm not sure if the Holy Spirit is that offended. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus says that the Spirit loves to glorify the Son. Mm. So I've always pictured biblically the Spirit's role being like um, the person who runs the camera on a news show. <laughs> like that, per- that person is vital. Like you, you couldn't see the news unless that person was doing their job. Mm-hmm. But what does the camera person love to do? They love to zoom in so you can hear this message from the anchor. Uh, the Spirit's like that. The, the Spirit loves it. The Spirit is glorified and honored when we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Spirit opens the eyes of our heart and I'm looking at the cross thinking, even I'm forgiven, Jesus saved me. The Holy Spirit's not pouting in the corner saying, well, I wanted some attention today. <laughs> the yes. Holy Spirit is thinking, yes, mission accomplished. I've fixed your eyes on Jesus, and you know about the salvation that's found in his name. So, yeah, I, uh, he deserves credit and honor, and he's also receiving credit and honor when we fix our eyes on the sun. Can we talk to the Holy Spirit? And and, and if so, what do we call him? Holy or mm. Spirit or Holy <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the mystery of the Trinity there. Um, there actually aren't many. I'm trying to think if there are any direct prayers to the Spirit in the Bible. So the normal pattern is praying to the Father, through the Son, mm-hmm. by the power of the Spirit. So if you kind of track, you know, what did the apostles and prophets do? Um, they would sometimes cry out to Jesus. They'd often cry out to the Father, um, but it seems like the Holy Spirit wasn't like the directly named in their prayers. It's not mm-hmm. wrong. I mm-hmm. do that sometimes when I'm thinking of like spirits, you know, produce love and joy in me. Holy Spirit, you can make this person believe in Jesus. I can't. So I don't think that's a, a bad thing to do, but it's just not the normal pattern of biblical teaching. So 
Yeah, interesting how the Father, Son, and Spirit kind of work together in the New Testament theology. Uh, you know what I have found, Mike, in recent years? Uh, thoughts pouring through your brain, uh, hunt thousands of them a day, and, and, mm. and, and many of them are not proper, and they land mm. there, and you don't want them to start growing. And I have found, if I will just say, Holy Spirit, would you please eradicate that thought right now out of my head? That, that shouldn't be there. Uh, mm-hmm. would, would you please just, just clean that out? Uh, mm-hmm. Philippians 4, 8, you know, that's where I want to be focused, but clean that thought out. And, and Mike, every single time, it, it, the thought's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 so I'm thinking that the Holy Spirit is there to guard our brains, our minds, and keep junk mm-hmm. out, of, out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, but once it's in there, I'm finding Holy Spirit. I don't want that thought about that girlfriend from high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. just just wipe that out. That shouldn't be there. And 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 he he does. He does every time. So I'm uh, I'm kind of uh, passing that on to people that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. It can be a great great because. Because if your brain gets all messed up with thoughts that shouldn't be there and, uh, you know, you read something, you see a little f- something flash on television and, and mm-hmm. boy, your brain gets all whacked out. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a passing thought. Maybe, Beautiful. Maybe, that, maybe that's your next book, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Folks, let me explain what's been going on here. Uh, Mike Novotny has been our guest. He's in Appleton, Wisconsin, lead speaker for Time of Grace. And we've gotten the the full picture on his new book, What's Big? Start Small. And folks, my latest book is out. Uh, Go check it out when when you go up to Amazon to get What's Big? Start Small. Uh, every day is game day. That, it's a 365-day uh, devotional. Every devotion has a sports theme and then leads into the devotional part. I think you'll enjoy it. In the meantime, uh, stay with us because we've got more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, Mike Novotny, uh, our guest uh, in that first segment, talking about what's big, start small, up there in Appleton, Wisconsin. We stay up in that neck of the woods. We're, we're north of Chicago now, and we found Harold Netland. Uh, professor of Philosophy of Religion and Intercultural Studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. His book is out, Religious Experience and the Knowledge of God, the Evidential Force of Divine Encounters. Harold, uh, welcome to Orlando. So nice to catch up with you. Thank you, Pat. It's an honor to be with you. Why did you write this book, Harold? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I've been teaching at uh, Trinity for 28 years, and prior to that, my wife and I were uh, serving as missionaries in Japan. Really? And so it, the book really draws upon um, 
many conversations, courses I've taught both in Japan and here in the U.S., uh, I kept coming back to the issue of personal experience. Uh, why does somebody have the particular religious commitments they have, whether that be Buddhist or Hindu um, or Christian? And somewhere in the explanation, uh, there was always a resort to, uh, well, this feels right, or I've had this experience and uh, I think especially of uh, an experience my wife had while we were in Japan. Uh, she met an Amer- another American who was living in the western part of Tokyo and invited her over for coffee one afternoon. Uh, they were both from Minnesota, and they thought, and Ruth thought that this would be a wonderful time to talk about uh, things back home and so on. But as soon as this American woman Uh, came into the home, she turned to my wife, Ruth, and said, let me tell you how I found perfect peace and happiness in Soka Gakkai Buddhism. Mm. And Ruth said she just launched into a beautiful testimony. And um, it's those kinds of encounters and realities that remind us that it's not only Christians who appeal to... uh, certain kinds of personal experiences to justify our beliefs. And then you have to go beyond the experience somehow. All right, so what would you say to this woman? Uh, I'm glad you found peace. I found peace in Jesus. Now let's have some tea. (laughs) Or can you get beyond that? So so those were some of the motivating factors behind the book. Uh, You open up with a chapter called Religious Experience, Mapping the Conceptual Territory. Uh, What does that mean, Harold? Right. This uh, initial chapter is really uh, just trying to clarify what on earth do we mean when we use that term. And um, as you begin to analyze it and listen to people, you find just a wide array of experiences that are sometimes classified as religious And we think immediately of uh, Acts 9, Saul on the road to Damascus, and this dramatic experience he has with the risen Christ. Or uh, Isaiah 6, Isaiah in the temple, and he has this overpowering experience of the holiness and majesty of God. And other religions will have their kind of peak, uh, really powerful experiences But I'm also really concerned uh, about the ordinary experiences of just regular uh, people in our pews, believers. Um, When I read Scripture, when I pray, I sense God leading me to do certain things or to say certain things to somebody. Uh, That can be understood as a kind of an experience. Um, I was reading in Philippians 4 this morning. Uh, Paul promises that uh, when we have anxiety, as we bring our requests to God with thanksgiving, God will give us um, a kind of peace that surpasses understanding. And many of us can give testimony to that. Uh, Well, that's also a kind of an experience. And so I don't want the language of religious experience to be confined just to these overpowering visions or encounters, 
but the ordinary lives that believers have. Uh, we do experience God daily in our lives. Are we entitled to use that kind of language? I think we are. So the first chapter is just trying to sort out what do we mean by the term, what are some different kinds of experiences. And one key distinction I make there is between what we could call hard religious experiences and soft religious experiences. So Saul in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, um, that's what I would call a hard religious experience. Um, it's, it's difficult to reduce that simply to naturalistic terms. Um, the uh, apostles, the disciples, encountering the risen Christ after the resurrection, uh, that would be a hard religious experience. Um, soft religious experiences are more ambiguous. And so, again, reading Scripture, I feel a, a strong conviction. I really should not take that job promotion. Uh, God does not want me to take that job promotion. Uh, okay, I would look at that and say, that's the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, telling me not to take that position. A skeptic looking at the same experience would simply say, no, uh, God didn't speak to you at all. Uh, that was simply your way of rationalizing a decision that you're going to make. Um, a soft religious experience is therefore more open to interpretation, given the broader context, uh, background beliefs about the nature of God, what God has revealed, how Scripture says God interacts with human beings. Even though the skeptic can approach that experience skeptically, I'm still entitled to say, no, that really was the Holy Spirit leading me to turn down that job promotion. So those are some of the distinctions I'm trying to make in that early chapter. Harold Netland is with us. Uh, he's at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School uh, north of Chicago. So glad he's with us. We're talking about his book, Religious Experience and the Knowledge of God. Uh, topic number two, Harold, religious experience and interpretation. What are you writing here? Yes. Um, the, the literature on experience uh, over the past uh, 100, 150 years has been very, very strong on the interpretive nature of our experiences. Uh, we don't have pure experiences. Every experience we have is somehow uh, thoroughly uh, embedded in our background beliefs, our assumptions, uh, our previous experiences, and so on. So we try to unpack some of that. And clearly, uh, interpretation plays a big role in our experiences. But it's not the final um, story. And so there's something that is brought to our awareness beyond simply interpretation. And uh, so, again, Saul in Acts 9, um, he, he approached the experience of the risen Christ from his background as a very zealous uh, first-century Pharisee. And he had to process and interpret what was happening to him in light of that. Uh, so the obvious question, who are you, Lord? And it takes a while for this to settle in. 
Uh, so questions about interpretation, the degree to which our exper- experiences are shaped by interpretation, and uh, what aspects are not shaped by interpretation, uh, this all comes into the second chapter. Now let's move on uh, to topic three. You call it the critical trust approach. Uh, explain that one to us, Harold. Yes, uh, in two minutes. Um, Well, this is really a a pivotal issue because, uh, as you're well aware, um, modern thought from the 17th century on, uh, especially uh, philosophy, has been uh, heavily skeptical about claims we can make about our experience, the uh, external world, etc. And so essentially it boils down to this. Uh, There are two ways to approach these kinds of questions. Uh, One was epitomized by the uh, 17th century philosopher René Descartes. I will question everything. I will not accept anything unless I can establish uh, it with certitude. And, uh, And he was a brilliant thinker, brilliant philosopher, and also a dedicated Christian. But I think the conclusion over the past 300-plus years has been uh, that road leads to skepticism. Uh, The alternative approach is to say we do know many things, and yet there are things that we are unsure of. And the key then becomes how do we distinguish between the things that we do know and the things that we think we know, but we might be mistaken on. And the critical trust approach is, is just a fancy word for the approach that most of us adopt in ordinary life. In other words, we take what seems to be the case as actually being the case unless we have good reasons to believe otherwise. So if I look out the window and I see a tree, I assume there really is a tree out there unless there are good reasons for believing otherwise. And uh, the critical trust approach is the name given to this kind of approach to experience and um, uh, knowledge. And what I argue in this chapter is what many Christian philosophers have argued in the past uh, 50 years. Namely, we can also apply that approach to religious experience. So if it seems like there's an angel in front of me, proclaiming, he is not here, he is risen, then it's reasonable for me to accept that there is an angel in front of me proclaiming, he is not here, he is risen, unless there are strong, compelling reasons to believe otherwise. And then we get into discussions about what those reasons might be. There are regular philosophical reasons. There are also biblical, theological reasons. For the Christian, anything that is consistent with biblical witness, the biblical teaching, would form what we call a defeater for that experience. But unless you have strong reasons or compelling reasons to believe otherwise, it is reasonable to accept that what seems to be the case really is the case. Edwards and Wesley on Experiencing God. Tell us more, Harold. 
Yeah, this was a lot of fun to work on. I've always enjoyed history. Uh, my primary training is in uh, philosophy, theology, religious studies, but I've always enjoyed history. And um, the interesting thing about Edwards and Wesley, of course, they live in the 18th century. Uh, they're contemporaries. One is in the colonies and one is uh, back in uh, England. But they're living at a time when you have massive uh, revivals, uh, the first great awakening in the colonies and uh, the Wesleyan revivals uh, throughout the British Isles. And part of these revivals involved really, uh, I guess just being blunt, um, bizarre, exuberant, um, highly emotional, and sometimes just uh, crazy behaviors. And so the question naturally arose, um, are there really authentic experiences of God, uh, or are these all just uh, somehow psychological delusions or even worse, satanically inspired um, aberrations? And both Edwards and Wesley uh, deal with those questions. And uh, it's a really interesting study and read to go back and see how they do. Uh, They appeal to Scripture. Anything that is incompatible with Scripture cannot be from God. Uh, And they put a lot of weight on what we today would call the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, uh, a transformed life, a life that manifests uh, the kind of love Jesus speaks about and the New Testament teaches. So different external ways of trying to sort out, are these experiences really from God or are they not? And then they both appeal to uh, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Harold Uh, Netlin is our guest. And Harold, when we come back, I want you to pick right up where we were on Edwards and Wesley. Uh, Harold Netlin has written Religious Experience and the Knowledge of God. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Harold Netland is with us at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School Harold, we interrupted you uh, right in the middle of some good meat there on on Edwards and Wesley, so pick it right up, please. Well, thank you, Pat. And uh, I, I do get excited about this, so I tend to go on more than I should. But, but let me tie this chapter in with the next chapter, Chapter 5, because the one really does flow right into the next. And uh, I was talking about how both Edwards and Wesley appeal to the inner witness, what theologians call the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. as a way of distinguishing between a genuine work of God and one that is uh, spurious or not. And uh, it's an insightful discussion, but it leaves you with a lot of questions. Uh, How does that witness of the Spirit work? And in Chapter 5, then, I build on that, and take it into the contemporary uh, philosophical discussion among Christian philosophers, where uh, people like Alvin Plantinga and William Lane Craig and others 
um, put a great deal of weight on the inner witness of the Holy Spirit as somehow um, authenticating or even self-authenticating the truth of the gospel uh, or that we are actually experiencing God. And here I really want to um, do two things. On the one hand, it's really clear from Scripture that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us confidence in the truth of the gospel. And as in Romans 8, the fact that we do belong to the Father. But at the same time, I don't see in Scripture an explanation of how that works. So that the Holy Spirit does this, I think, is clear. Uh, But how the Holy Spirit does this is left open. And so I think we need to be open to a wide variety of ways in which the Spirit can bring about that confidence. And I'm especially concerned about some who have said the Holy Spirit works apart from evidence and independent of evidence, and we really don't need to appeal to evidence in support of the Christian faith. We simply rely upon the inner work of the Holy Spirit. And my point is simply, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, There's no reason in the world why the Holy Spirit cannot and does not use uh, evidence, uh, legitimate arguments, just like the Holy Spirit uses friendship and uh, acts of uh, compassion and mercy uh, to help people to come to faith in Christ. So that's the thrust of uh, Chapter 5 coming out of the Edwards and Wesley discussion. Now we move on to Topic 6. It's simply called Mysticism. Uh, Explain that to us, Harold. Right, and a a little bit of background here, because uh, I was in college in the 1970s, uh, did grad school in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, and so there was a certain understanding of mystical experience at the time that was very, very popular and dominant, Uh, and, you know, we would refer to it as Eastern mysticism. Uh, usually in the singular, as if there's only one kind of mysticism all Asians uh, would embrace. And this was played off against Christian teachings and Christian experience. And uh, defenders of the uh, Eastern mystical experience, so-called, would uh, elevate this as kind of a superior kind of experience. And the more I got into researching that, the more I realized that is a particular conception or understanding that was very carefully crafted in the 19th and 20th century by both Europeans and Americans who were disillusioned with Christianity and by Chinese, Japanese, and Indian scholars who were rejecting Um, Christian missions, and much of uh, the Western uh, influence. And so that notion of mysticism is really a fairly recent one. Uh, And you can look at people like William James as uh, highly influential on that. So this chapter is just trying to explain what we mean by that, what is mysticism, and what are some of the current debates. And I raise some questions about um, claims that have been made on the basis of 
uh, so-called Eastern mysticism. Harold Netlin is our guest. Uh, and Harold, we've arrived at topic number seven, theistic experiences and religious diversity. Fill us in. Yes, well, this this was kind of a wrap-up chapter, but also posing some lingering questions that I have and uh, things for us to continue working on. But uh, again, going back to the critical trust approach, um, I do believe that um, both for individuals who have experiences they take to be experiences of God and for others who are observing um, experiences can provide a measure of support for our claims. Um, I think it's a fairly modest claim. It has to be taken in light of other factors, and uh, I appeal to what I call a cumulative case argument. There are good reasons to believe that the God of the Bible really does exist and has revealed himself in the Incarnation and the written scriptures. So within that context, it does make sense to believe that uh, we can and we do have experiences of God. And that does provide some positive support for our conscience. And then you have, of course, the question of, uh, yeah, but other religions also make their claims. And so I acknowledge that in this chapter, and we work through some of the issues. And uh, my conclusion is basically the fact that others may make similar claims in and of itself does not rule out the legitimacy of claims that we as Christians can make. And then the challenge is for us as Christians to offer an explanatory framework. How do we account for or explain the fact that uh, people in other traditions also uh, have some very dramatic experiences? So that's that's the um, concluding chapter there in uh, Chapter 7. Harold Netland, our guest. Harold, uh, before we run out of time, uh, tell me about Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Oh, thank you. Um, I have really been honored and privileged to be a part of this school now going into my 29th year. Mm. It is the uh, Divinity School, the seminary, the training uh, institution for the Evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, We offer the MDiv for pastors, of course, a variety of MAs, uh, three PhD programs, and a Doctor of Ministry. And I have just thoroughly enjoyed my time there with students from all around the world. It's really been invigorating. What do you want us to take, Harold, from uh, from this book that we've been talking about? Uh, what uh, what should we leave with? I hope that believers who are bothered by uh, reports of religious experience in other traditions and wonder how we can really be justified in believing that God does speak to us and we can experience God, I hope that believers like that will have more confidence in uh, our experiences of God. And I hope that skeptics um, who are skeptical of the possibility of experiencing God will begin to look at this in a new light if they read the book. Well, folks... um... Harold Netland, the book Religious Experience and the Knowledge 
of God. Uh, folks, uh, we've got a few min- a minute here. I just want to tell you we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Orlando has now grown to the point. It's the largest media market in North America that doesn't have a big league baseball team, and uh, the time has come. We have a website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. Go up there. Let us hear from you. Uh, tell us if you're interested, and in, uh, if we can pull this off uh, well, would you be interested in season tickets, perhaps? So, uh, OrlandoDreamers.com. Help us bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, In that first segment, uh, Mike Novotny was with us uh, from Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, talking about his book, What's Big, Start Small. And we stayed up there in the the Midwest, uh, north of Chicago, Harold Netland. Uh, the religious experience and the knowledge of God, uh, two uh, really interesting theologians. And uh, uh, we're always very, very pleased, folks, when you plug in and uh, get to hear some of these outstanding thinkers and speakers and writers from all across America. It's called the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've been doing it for many, many years, and uh, uh, each show is still a delight. So stay tuned all day long. Your your life will be better for it right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. See you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 